be creative about how they deliver a in-person experience where, you know, you're not just going to see that that person, you're also going with, you know, a bunch of other people that are there for the same reason. And, um, you know, that's why you can ask a lot of people today and they still prefer going into their office and doing work for that reason, because they can go interact with the other people that are there for the same reason, just like with, uh, with concerts. University of Alabama's Carl Browns College Business is Bama Means Business, a podcast that reveals amazing stories most people both inspire and make a difference in our community. I'm Cole Stevens on the show today, Nathan Yamaguchi. This is part two of our conversation, which we dive into the AI revolution inside of music and his thoughts as a DJ in the space. I hope you enjoy. Yeah, that's a very interesting skill set to have because it translates well to business, to be able to read a crowd, read a room. Everyone always talks about that. Read a room. That's always a statement. Like no one to talk, no one to, you know, just sit there and listen. You're coming from an engineering background, going into business school. What was that transition like for you? And why did you choose to take that step? I don't think it was much of a tradition, a transition at all, mainly because, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, you know, always been like a math and science guy, but at the end of the day, I've never had an engineering job before. And, you know, I have a bachelor's degree in, you know, mechanical engineering, but like, what does that really mean? It definitely like taught me how to think differently, but, um, I don't think it was really a transition. Um, I think like my real experience has been in my fraternity. Um, and, you know, just like campus involvement and even just, you know, being on like sports teams and things like that. Like I, that's really where the the valuable experience I think has come to me in that sense with like reading rooms and reading people and knowing how, how like if you pick four random people out of any given like room or group or organization, those four people are going to interact differently with each other in a different way than another group of four people that you sample and just like teams that it's the same thing I think with with what you were saying business or DJing knowing how to work with people if you don't know how to work with people you're working by yourself and nothing that has ever come out of the world has been good from one person yeah from one person to a team mindset I think that's key but pardon the pun, you're also on Case Team, which a lot of people don't know about. We've actually had former members of the Case Team on the podcast. Could you explain what that is and why you got involved yourself? Yeah, so Case Team is um, a group of about 25 um, students in the Manor School business. It used to be just MBAs, but now they've opened it to other specialized masters. Um, And our team, which is, you know, like I said, about 25 people, our team competes in a variety of case competitions against other colleges and universities across the country throughout the year. So our great 25 member team will be subdivided into groups of three or four or five smaller teams to go compete in these individual competitions. So um, what that will look like is, um, you know, about a three or four week, um, case might drop and that case will 
have a client and the client could be um, a bank, for example, and the bank is having issues with um, expanding into more rural locations and that's where they want to be. And you are tasked with answering questions about, okay, how are they going to raise capital to go about that venture? How are they going to market into those, um, that parts of the smaller kind of rural markets that they haven't been in? How are they going to market that? Questions like that. And then you get with your team and you ask, you know, the kind of guiding questions you form kind of the research framework of what questions you need to have answered, how you're going to answer them and then start to construct recommendations. And then your team goes and you present your, um, recommendations. So it's very much like kind of consulting in a very small time frame, And that was one of the biggest things that led me to it because, um, you know, I have a lot of interests and I think consulting is uh, a really great path for kind of being able to dive deeply into one topic for a project and then, you know, um, help advise, you know, a client. And then the next project you have is something totally different. So that, that was something that excited me about joining the case team. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a phenomenal team that has seen great success since it started here at Alabama and you guys have done a lot of great stuff and you actually competed on your first case a couple, a couple months ago, I want to say, and you actually placed third of the entire competition. So just want to make sure to put out there. Congratulations on to Nathan on that one. Looking at your process, I just have to ask this question. How do you find good music? This isn't a DJ question. <laughs> no, it's, it's both. Like, how do you find good music? Because I struggle a lot with my music taste. Like, I'm all over the board. I usually have to hear something from someone in order to get it. Where do you find your music? So this has nothing to do with the case stuff. Nope. Okay. okay. <laughs> I just want to 100% pivot. Um, this is going to sound weird. I am not really somebody that goes and looks for a lot of music. Okay. Um, I am more like quality over quantity. <laughs> Um, if you asked other DJs in this area, they would be like, Nathan is the most non-cultured DJ <laughs> that has ever existed in this town. And that's like, I'm fine with that. Um, I, I like using the um, suggested like radio, Spotify kind of curated. Like if you're listening to a song that this is great and you go to the, the, the radio for the song. Yeah. And then you look through that. I, that's one great method. I like, um, I guess specifically as a DJ, there's also these pools that DJs are in where they basically get all their music from. Um, that's not on like Apple music or Spotify or, you know, um, so that's my other, <laughs> my other source is DJ pools. Yeah. Where, where, where do you get your product from? Now, this has been something that's been interesting to me to watch out in the general landscape. And this is something you and I actually have had conversations about, but it's the use of artificial intelligence or AI in music. Now I'm going to start getting very philosophical here. There's a lot of white collar jobs. There's, those are ones that are information age economy jobs that can be fulfilled through some kind of tool or resource or sort of some kind of automated process that we won't need humans to fulfill in the future, ideally. Now, the service industry is something that's a little bit different because you sort of need, you know, that person-to-person specialization for every case. DJing, DJing to me sort of is right in the middle of that. It is 
personal for every location, but also the job that you do is very repetitive because you're sort of, you know, taking sets and putting them together and performing them. Where do you think artificial intelligence comes into play, not only for DJing, but also for the entire music industry as a whole? It's a great question. It's a question I think about um, on a pretty, pretty regular basis. Not because I want to be a full-time DJ the rest of my life, but <laughs> more so just because of um, it's an interesting question. And I not focusing on the actual, like, do we want to lose jobs to this or do we not want to not focusing on that question and more so specifically what the role of a person is as a DJ. I think it's, it's really, it's hard to articulate because the actual utility that a DJ um, fulfills is obviously picking the music transitioning from song to song and um, interacting with the crowd or whoever, um, you know, the, the audience is. So with all those three things, I think there's a lot of, there, there's some form of creativity, but again, like AI is, you know, again, how do you want to define creativity? AI is somewhat challenging all three of those roles. Um, Interacting with the audience is one that I think AI is not at a point where it's um, able to compete with a human. I think, um, you know, when I'm, when I'm DJing and there's a lot of energy in the crowd, um, in the audience any, any given night. Um, and I get on the microphone and I say, how you, like, how you guys doing tonight? Like, let's, let's have a great night. It's Friday night, Saturday night. Um, you know, that's, that's a kind of emotion that you can't replicate. You know, when you get on, when you get on, a uh, a phone call with an automated message machine or, um, you know, a, a robot, people get that frustration because they know on the other end there's somebody that has zero emotion, zero empathy for what you as a person are going through. And I can't speak to where we'll be with that in 50 years, if we can be imitating that effectively or not. And if that's good, but right now there isn't a computer or even a like robot that could stand on a stage and get people excited or not even just excited, but even just to feel something that's really authentic and organic. And that's something that the human really, I mean, that's, that's our, that's who we are humans. Right. Um, so I think now more than ever live, um, performers and in art and music need to realize their importance of their human element and connecting with the people that they're, they're playing for especially with our antisocial culture. I mean, it's so easy to just go up and DJ and just play music and not say, say a word, not look at people, just head down in the music. And in my opinion, at that point, you really are missing the point. Um, and that's why technology is threatening us so much is because we are, we are letting ourselves become the technology to some extent when mm -hmm. we just bury ourselves in the computer and we don't really look at the people that we are 
providing value for and connecting with. So. I know that was kind of tangent. Yeah, no, I think it's a phenomenal point and more towards the business of music. This is something a lot of people didn't know about in the past, but I think it's starting to become more common to talk about, especially for different avenues for a artist to publish their content, their song, for example, their sample. You got SoundCloud, you got YouTube, you got Spotify. You can register yourself independently and publish your stuff, not have to have a record deal. A very common phenomenon nowadays is private equity groups coming in and venture capital firms investing in artists, if that makes sense. So the common story that came out in the past month was Justin Bieber just sold his entire collection um, as masters, I believe, for was it $200 million, an, astro- an astronomical amount of money. Like in the general scheme of things, a lot, a lot of money. But he's also earned a lot of money off that music. Where do you see the production of music going in the future, especially with the involvement of capital to such a degree in which they're scooping up the rights to this music left and right for insane money? Yeah, well, I, I, I did hear about that. Um, now, I will say from my perspective, it's nothing new. It's something that has existed for pretty much most of the 21st century. I actually did um, probably the most work I've put into any project in high school was um, my, they called it a junior theme, and it was all about um, music and technology and kind of where it's going. And again, like in the 21st century, we have been sampling from other music sources for, you know, that that's, that's nothing new in this, 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 the scenario that you um, gave, for example, with Justin Bieber, that's definitely on another level of, you know, somebody's willing to pay that much money to have access to that. Um, Obviously you're getting a wealth of just, um, copyrighted material that nobody else can, can have. But it's also interesting because, you know, we just saw David Guetta, he was able to, um, replicate Eminem's, um, voice in a style that he wanted and have him sing something totally unique. And that was just like a a joke project to him at first. And then he, he played the, the record live for a crowd and they loved it. And that kind of brings into the question of, is that even worth paying that much money for if you can replicate it to a certain extent of, of accuracy? And what that means, kind of going back to your question, I think it means that the, the intrinsic value that someone's voice has is going down because it's easy to replicate. I think it's as simple as that. Um, you know, 10 or 20 years from now, that the value of that information that was sold is not going to be as valuable, in my opinion, because if you can essentially imit- imitate what that sounds like without having to get the actual, you know, raw file, you've beat the system at that point. Yeah. And I think, I think when it comes to music, it just begs the question of where is the value? Is it from enjoying something or is there part of it that's tied in with enjoying the process 
and respecting someone else's process. I think that's a good point. Like copyright law, I'm not expert in whatsoever. Like I don't know the intricacies of it at all, but one has to say that a lot of, a lot of different lawsuits have come up over the sampling of beats and the use of it and how it's very common to, you know, beats that are 40 years old and people are suing saying, Hey, you copied my beat. But in reality, are there really any new beats to be discovered? I mean, obviously there's new instruments that could be discovered, but the same point, a lot of this litigation that's coming down is really going to decide not only currently if you can use that beat, but also in the future, let's say a song is generated using a beat that I used, do I have rights to that song all of a sudden, or do I have rights to that beat? Because there's copywriting and there's like patenting lines of code and technology. Like companies will patent code saying, hey, this is a unique identifier. Like one-click purchasing was something that Amazon had patented for 10 years that gave them a competitive advantage. Now, obviously that patent's expired. Everyone can use that as music just like that. Like, is this one instrument now all of a sudden going to be patented because I developed it using my own code or something like that. Just something like food for thought to think about in the future, but pivoting to something that might hit near and dear to a lot of people's hearts is um, I'm going to say this in the nicest way possible Ticketmaster and concerts, because like you were saying before, the actual voice might not, might be going down, but the experience is being enhanced. You see that, Post-pandemic, there's been a huge surge of demand for live events, live concerts, that kind of stuff. What do you think of the concert concert industry right now? And where do you think that's going to go in the future and fitting into the music industry as a whole? I think it's the it's the the heart of the music music industry at this point. Because again, like I was saying before about that that human element with interacting with the audience. That's something that, you know, technology can't compete with, you know, a, an AI robot cannot compete and will never be able to compete with human emotion. And it might be able to imitate it, but it will never authentically have it, in my opinion. Um, so I think when it comes to the music industry, it's all in on the personalization and, and interactions between the artists and the fans. And that's why, I mean, people, people missed out on really experiencing that, you know, people love the productions. That's a huge part of the music industry that, you know, everybody's focused on the, the artists, but the production side of things is really important too. Um, you know, and a, a lot of that is being more programmed with AI, whether it's, um, you know, the lighting sequences during music. Um, so I, I think, I think it's going to be more important than ever for artists to find ways to really connect with their fan bases and be creative about how they deliver a in-person experience where, you know, you're not just going to see the, that person, you're also going with, you know, a bunch of other people that are there for the same reason. And, um, you know, that's why you can ask a lot of people today and they still prefer going into their office and doing work for that reason, because they can go interact with the other people that are there for the same reason, just like 
with, uh, with concerts. So I think, yeah, just to reiterate, just it's more important than ever for the, the artists and musicians to be creative and leverage the ways that they have at their disposal to really deliver an experience to people that's, that is beyond just the actual music content that a digital file can have. I think that's definitely something that I've experienced and I didn't grow up going to a lot of concerts for sure. I've gone to a lot more recently and you really do enjoy it. There's something about having that artist be like, what's up Birmingham or what's up Alabama? Like roll tie, like something like that is unique and you know, it's only happening in that moment. Sure. You can record it. Sure. You can listen to it, you know, on a YouTube video, but if you're there in person, you know, it's legit, you know, it's not faked or some kind of sample that's thrown over it. Going to your own personal journey, you, I said, have a lot of different interests, a lot of great capabilities. You still have a year left of the program. What are you hoping to get out of the program the next year before you graduate and sort of launch into that professional career? Oh man, that's hard. I'm trying to think what, it's a hard question because I'm thinking about all the things I'm uh, grateful about the past, you know, the first year of doing the program. And, um, I think I've definitely got, gotten out of my comfort zone a lot, just with, even with just case team and, um, doing more presentations and speaking, um, even just like engaging more in class. I think the biggest thing that I want to take from the next year is really just leveraging a lot of the hard skills that um, a lot of the the classes here kind of develop, especially with Excel and um, you know Tableau, SQL, um, R. A lot of those languages I think are really going to help me with um, working with data. And you know we have a lot of data today in pretty much every industry, and that's you know a huge skill with understanding um, customer bases and understanding a lot of things about businesses that we weren't able to understand, um, decades ago. There's so much information and now we just have to figure out how to use the information. So I would say learning a lot of those more technical skills, um, with working with, with data. One question I always end every podcast with is obviously you're still in the moment right now. So this could change obviously a year down the road. What is one memory that Alabama is going to leave with you for the rest of your life? That's too hard to choose, man. I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to, this is kind of a cop out answer, but I was, I'll always remember being a houndstooth um, when we won the national championship against uh, Ohio State. That was unbelievable. Just, yeah. um, yeah, that's that's an experience you can't replicate. <laughs> no, you can't. Um, yeah, I mean that 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 doesn't that doesn't do that question justice because there's I mean there's this campus is just incredible, but um, yeah, just the 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 community experience here because of 
especially, I mean, football, really, it's, it's something that we're all able to kind of rally around and it's a common experience we can, um, link between all of us. I think that's, that's really important. It's not just about the football. It's about, you know, everybody gets to kind of have, you know, that to, to rally around. Yeah. So that was, that was a big moment. Definitely. That's Nathan Yamaguchi, first year MBA student here at Manderson. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast today. If you're not a subscriber, do subscribe to our podcast wherever you get yours. And of course, check out our website at culverhouse.ua.edu to learn more about the Culverhouse College of Business and what it has to offer. And as always, roll tide.